Welcome to Miss V, the Storyteller Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who loves a good story. I believe in the power of stories and how they have the potential to change our lives for the better. On this podcast, I will bring you amazing stories and amazing guests. These stories will make you laugh, cry, think, heal, and in some cases, propel you into making new and better choices. So let's get started today with some stories. Welcome to Miss V, the Storyteller Podcast. You guys, I'm so excited today because I have a guest and she is so amazing. I'm telling you, she's so smart. I mean, she has done some amazing things. Her life has been had some bumps in the road, ups and downs, just like our lives have. And I love when I have people to come on because when they come on the show, they're genuine because they're actually been through some things. But the thing about my guest is that she's victorious. She made it through all of it. And she's going to share a story with us today so we can just see how powerful and strong she is because she's been through some stuff like we all have. So with that said, my guest is Esther Goldberg, Goldenberg. 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 Ooh, yes. And she's going to tell us a little bit about herself right now. Hi, thank you so much. I am so glad to be here with you, a fellow storyteller. I'm going to tell, I'm going to try to tell you a little bit about myself, just like you asked a little bit. <laughs> the first thing I'll tell you is that it's probably more than 50% of the people who mispronounce my name on the first go. So you are in good company. Uh, all right. I'm from the South side of Chicago. That's where I was born and raised, grew up there and left there when I was, you know, after high school. And since that time, I've been mostly, but not only living in the Washington DC area. And, um, and that's, that's where I am right now. So, I mean, I got a lot of things about me, but like, I'm trying to tell you the short version, you know, so, um, you know, I can tell you, I like to do painting. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. I like singing. My skill level at singing is about the same as my painting level. And <laughs> so I like to do things that I like to do, no matter how, what the results turn out as sometimes, just, you know, just for the fun of it. Great, great. So, um, you know, I love stories and Esther is a storyteller like me, which, you know, I gravitate to her like magnets. I was like, oh my God, I love a good storyteller because stories are so important. When we share our stories, we help people, first of all, to know about us, but it also helps people to, if they're going through something and you share your story it, and hopefully that story will help them through whatever they're going through to encourage and uplift them. So you know, I love good stories. So Esther is going to share a story with us today. So Esther, go ahead and share your story. All right. Well, I love stories too. And I'm going to do my best to tell this one. Um, and I'm going to just go ahead and give a spoiler alert right now and say that it has a happy ending. Some <laughs> <laughs> tough parts in the middle of it. So I'm going to go back like and just set the stage here a little bit. Okay. So I told you I've been living in the Washington DC area, but I'm from Chicago. So uh, a number of years ago, as my parents were aging and their health was declining, they decided also to move to the Washington, D.C. area so that they could be closer to me and my children. And, um, you know, it's, it was 
really great that they were able to have the ability to move from Chicago over this area and be closer and all that stuff. And they were thinking along the same lines that my grandparents were thinking, because many years before my grandparents had like set the example, if you're going to move, especially if you're going to move to a community of older people, then do it while you're still well enough to meet people and get to know people and that they can get to know you, that they can get to know the you who you like shine through with your personality and your skills and everything you've got going for you. And they're not just getting to know you as um, a sick person who needs help and can't do all the things, but you know, move, move when you can and when you can appreciate it and enjoy it and other people can enjoy you. So that's what my parents decided to do. And it was like a little bit tricky finding a place here, but we did it. It all turned out to be really a lot faster than we expected. But again, the good side was then, you know, they could move while they could still meet people, enjoy it, get, get to know people. And then unfortunately, it didn't really turn out that way. So it turned out that um, back in Chicago, my parents, you know, they were doing okay. They were elderly, but they could take care of themselves and especially take care of each other. And um, my dad had had diabetes for many, many years and had like many of the things that go with that. I'm not going to tell you they were in perfect health because they were not, but they were, you know, strong members of the community and, and really valued and valuable people who had something to bring to their new area. Um, unfortunately, the move was really, really hard on my mom. Now she had grown up in Chicago. She had lived all her seven plus decades in Chicago and moving away was just harder than anybody expected. And so when they got here, her health really started to decline really rapidly. And nobody was expecting that. And it just sort of set forth like this um, snowball effect because she had been doing a lot of things for my dad. And then she couldn't. She couldn't keep up, you know, taking care of him and taking care of herself and her health, her health just started declining really, really quickly. And they went from living independently to basically needing a lot of care a lot of the time. And for a couple of years, it was just this decline where, you know, we felt like we're, I, I felt like I was like putting my finger in a dam. You know, I was like, what? Something else is coming up. What? Something else is coming up. Yeah. Like, I thought like, I wasn't thinking they were going to be babysitters, you know, for, for my kids. But I was thinking like, you know, they, they could hang out together, they could do things together. And um, it just didn't really turn out that way because what turned out was, you know, like I said, I was putting my fingers in the dam, putting out fires, trying to set up a new system that was completely unexpected, you know, based on their new healthcare needs. And, you know, they did have, um, they did meet some new people here. They did have some successful times here and they definitely had some times where they got to take care of my, not take care of my children, excuse me, be with my children and my children got to be with them. But ultimately we came to a point where it was basically a crisis every week. I was going into the ER often mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we were really lucky to be able to have some other caregivers on a team so that I wasn't you know, with them 24 seven. But it was, you know, I'm still the daughter <laughs> and it was a lot of emotional things coming down on me, a lot of physical things coming down on me, especially in that sandwich generation, you know, when I had children to take care of. And then all of a sudden it's like, 
midnight and your mom's in the hospital and she thinks she's dying and is like, well, I, I, I gotta go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really rough spot. And, you know, I'm glad that you have this storytelling thing so that, so that I could tell this story so that other people could hear this story because it really wasn't until I was in this position that I started hearing about other people in this position, mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of like to be able to tell it. And I don't know who your listeners are, right? It's going to be a whole range of people. Some people with aging parents, some people parents already passed, some people with parents are taking care of everybody. So, you know, it's going to be all the things, but I had not heard such stories like this until I was in that boat. Mm -hmm. And people were saying, oh yeah, you know, and then they tell me their story. It was really great and comforting to hear that, you know, there's just a whole range of experiences in life. And this is one of them. This was a really hard one of them. <laughs> and, you know, in the meantime, since that happened, both of my parents have passed. And, um, you know, each one, each passing, it's, it's a funny story, actually. My parents passed away on the exact same date, two years apart. Oh my goodness. Really? Really wild. It's really wild and amazing. Um, and, you know, I never really would have expected how powerful it can be when your parent is dying. Like I would have expected maybe sad and, um, you know, lots to do. And those were correct. It was sad and there was lots to do, but I just, you know, didn't anticipate what an actually powerful experience it can be. And um, I was lucky enough to have that with both my parents when they passed. And it was very different experiences actually that I had with my dad who, who died first and my mom who died two years later. It was very different experiences that I had with both of them, which makes sense because I had very different relationships mm -hmm. with both of them and they were very different people. So it's like, it makes sense, but only when I can look at it in hindsight, can I go, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> You know, on yeah. the downside, it's like, okay, well, I had one parent who passed away. And so I could apply everything that I learned for a second parent. It's like, hmm. I mean, if you, if what I learned was that everything's different than, than all yeah. that, and I could apply that, but yeah, that, that was, you know, a few years of my life and um, I'm glad that I got to spend the time with them and they did get to spend time with my children. My children did get to spend time with them. And all of that is, you know, bonding and meaningful and special. And it just was not what I was expecting. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, I, my story is kind of similar. Um, both of my parents are still alive. However, um, we found out that my mother was sick at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. All these things happened during the pandemic with both of my parents. Um, my parents are divorced, but um, my brother, he called me one day and he said, I need you to check on mom. And I'm, I, you know, she's fine. He was like, no, something's wrong with her. And we talked on the phone. <clears throat> and the next thing I know, he shows up at my house and he was like, no, I'm telling you something is going on with mama. And I said, well, yeah, when I talked to her the other day, she kept repeating the same thing and she was getting mad at me and I didn't understand why. And he was like, yeah, you know, she's been acting different. So I said, okay. So um, my older brother, 
he said something. So I'm like, okay, something must be going on. So fast forward, I make her an appointment and I get her to go to the doctor. We go to the doctor, they do some tests and we found out what was going on with my mom. And I was like, oh my goodness. Cause my mom has Alzheimer's. And I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, you see TV and they talk about it, but it's not, it's not real until it happens to you. And so I told my siblings, you know, what happened, what was going on with her. And I ended up having to be the medical power of attorney over my mom because mostly because I worked in the hospital for seven years. So I had that experience. And so it was so difficult. And just like you were talking about going to the hospital, when when your parents have Alzheimer's or your parents have Alzheimer's, they still have other medical issues that go on. So it's not just that one thing you have to deal with. And as you probably know, it could be various different things, you know, and that happened. My mom, I, I was in, in and out of the hospital with her. I had to be there with her. And um, I'm a God girl. So I'll share this part of it. I was working in the... Um, the city of Virginia Beach. I was working in the school system and I um, resigned that in December when the kids got out for spring break. And I didn't know my mom had Alzheimer's at the time, but God knew. And me resigning during that time, God knew that I was going to have to take care of her. And within a matter of weeks, we got the diagnosis. Mama got sick. She was in the hospital and I was able to take care of her because, and I didn't know, I mean, I knew, you know, it, some things were going on and I was going in a different direction and all this, but I didn't know that was the issue. So my mom, now I'm taking care of my mom and, you know, trying to get everything in place. You know, I'm going online. I look for support groups. And when I went online for support, that ended up being a hot daggone mess. It wasn't easy. You know, it was a hot mess. So I talked to a couple of people who I knew who parent had gone through it and they were giving me some advice. But then my dad had some issues and he was debating if he was going to have a surgery. And so I was so full <laughs> because I'm like dealing with this it's it's a different level because my mom's thinking that she's okay and she's thinking all these things are okay but it's not and trying to get her to understand and then putting my dad surgery on top of that I was like you I was oh. but my dad opted to wait to have the surgery because he wasn't comfortable you know because of the protocols in the hospital and you know, he wanted to get another second opinion. I told him to get a second and a third opinion, you know, for this particular surgery. So he opted to wait. And I'm so glad that he did because he wasn't mentally prepared for it. Not that he had Alzheimer's or anything, but he had so many doubts and so many questions that was unanswered. And for him to have the surgery would have been just not good at all. So he waited, which thank God he did. But after the pandemic comes out and everything, we finally get my mom situated. And then my dad had his surgery uh, probably about a year ago. And he's recuperating from it because he's older. So it takes time. So at the end of my story, both of my parents, they're doing well. 
Um, you know, my my dad, he's um a little uh let's just say not happy because he wanted the recovery to be a lot faster. Hey friends, it's me, Miss V the Storyteller. Did you know that I offer online classes and one-on-one -on -one consulting to help with branding and business owners to use the gift of storytelling to increase revenue and clients. For more information, visit my website at MissVTheStoryteller at GoDaddySites.com. All right, friends, I'll see you in class or one-on-one. -on -one. Bye. And I'm like, Dad, you know, you're older. It takes time for it to heal. And the doctor is telling him it's not going to be overnight. It's going to it's not it's going to be a marathon. It's not going to be a sprint. And he's impatient. <laughs> I want to just get back to him. I'm like, you can get back to you just have to go slow. <laughs> you can't go as fast as you used to. You just have to go slow. So, yeah. But when I was listening to your story and you talked about your parents, how was your relationship with your parents? Because with my parents, I did not have a great relationship with me and my mom. And the fact that I ended up having to be the caretaker, I had to do a lot of forgiving. I had to do a lot of praying. Um, I did a lot of crying. <laughs> I did a lot of that. However, this has brought us closer because now she sees that I'm there for her regardless of our past, that I'm going to take care of her and do what's right regardless. Me and my dad hasn't always been close, but even do through all of his things, you know, he was calling me for advice. He was like, baby girl, what, you know, should I call the doctor? Yes. Call the doctor. He would call me for advice. And that put us on a, a, a higher level, closer level from that. So how was your relationship before doing, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the illnesses? Yeah. That's a great question. I'm going to answer for each of my parents separately, like like how you spoke about your parents separately, because the relationships are different, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to start with my dad. And I also want to say what you said earlier. It's like if he, he had diabetes, but that wasn't the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really important when you get a diagnosis. It's like, not that's not the only thing that's going on, you know? And um, so, yeah, I just really related when you said that. I was like, yeah, that's still a lot to do. So, you know, I had a pretty um, amicable relationship with my dad. We weren't particularly close. I didn't feel like I, you know, poured my heart out into him or anything like that. Um, but like, I think we both knew that we were like both fans of the other person. Like he was my big fan. I was a fan of his, you know, and it's like sometimes the conversation could get awkward or whatever, but like I had already come to the point in my life where I was like, okay, well, he did the best that he could with his tools and being a dad. And that's, that's all a person can do, you know? Right. And so we weren't especially emotionally close, but we knew that we could count on the other one. And so, and, and we did, we did count on the other one. And, you know, he, he had told me that he had told me years ago that, you know, if he was ever in the hospital or whatever, he wanted everything done to help him stay alive. Everything. I like your dad. <laughs> everything done. And then after he dies, he wants to donate anything from his body that he can, right? Okay, keep everything alive. And then anything that he's not using anymore, somebody else should use it. 
So I was like, okay, like that's his wishes, right? Like I get to make my wishes, he gets to make his wishes. And so he knew I was going to carry that out. And when it actually came down to his final hours, and I, I was sitting in the room with the doctor and the doctor said, you know, I'm sorry about your dad. And he's in a state right now people don't come back from. And I said, keep him on the machines. <laughs> this is what he wants. Keep him on the machines. And then until it got to the point where it was like every few minutes, they were really keeping him alive every few minutes. And then I said, okay, do your thing. But um, when, when I had some alone time with him in the hospital right before he died, it was like a really cathartic piece for me. Like I really felt like I was showing up for him. And I told him like, you can die while I'm here or you can die while I'm gone. You, you call the shots, you do it when you're ready. And, you know, I still stayed a little bit longer. I still talked to him a little bit longer. I left and then about two hours later he died. And I was comfortable with that because I really do feel like he was calling the shots, you know? Mm -hmm. But what I really wanna say about my relationship with my dad is that for about the first year or two after he died, I felt like I had the best relationship with him oh, whole yeah. life. And, and like, we didn't have anything like, you know, bad in our relationship, but we didn't have anything really close. But after he died, I literally felt close to him. There were all kinds of things. Like I would get, you know, numbers would show up. I was like, oh, that's the first three digits of his work phone number when I was a kid, you know, that I had memorized because back before cell phones, you know, you need to call your dad at work. You got to know his number. So I was like, just all these kind of things would be like thinking about my dad all the time and really connecting with the positive, warm, loving side of him after he died. And it's like kind of because there was no messy stuff in the way. Good. Well, like I could just really connect with his heart, you know, and his soul, I suppose, at that time because he had already died. And it was like, talk about things you never expect. I never expected it. It's like, it could sound like a joke. Oh, I had the best relationship with my dad after he died. <laughs> like that sounds, you could get up on a stage and tell that joke, I'm sure. But it's like, in all sincerity, it was really good. <laughs> and now I feel like more time has passed and I still love him. I know he still loves me, but I don't feel that connectedness with him right now, you know, and I don't know what's going on, but I'm just saying like, we had a really good relationship at that point. And it was, beautiful right how about your mom okay so my mom you got me when you were talking about your job and you're gonna have to move and god knew right because you know i'm a god girl too <laughs> okay so this is the story my mom when she died she taught me she left me with the lesson of divine timing this mm -hmm. is a lesson i try to take with me all the time because what happened was covid came out right and we got all the lockdowns all the things and so i couldn't go see her because of all the lockdowns so I could only see her on video chat, right? So if I could only see her on video chat, that means I could be anywhere in the world and she wouldn't know. Now, my mom had really, really debilitating anxiety and, mm. and, and I was like a rock to her, okay? So it was like, I was her, her safety net or something, right? It was like, okay, Esther's gonna help me. Esther's gonna make this better at when she was sick, okay? And so... So when it was COVID, I actually moved to Israel and I didn't tell her because I knew that it was going to be producing so much anxiety in her that I wasn't nearby. But the thing is, I couldn't do anything nearby or far away. 
And so I actually went to Israel and went to live in a small community where I had friends and people could be outside. And it was just like, you know, just went for a little while. I had been in Israel before. Okay. And so that was, um, that was in October of 2020. Okay. And then I was coming back in um, December of 2020. I was coming back and I didn't tell my mom I was coming back because I didn't tell her I had left. Right. right? Make no difference. Right. So actually my mom went into hospice right after oh. I got back here. And once she went into hospice was when I was allowed to go in and see her. Oh. And so I feel like, so with my dad, I said, I wasn't there in the moment that he died with my mom. I was, and I was by her side for a few days, even before that. And then even also on the moment that she died and, and I believed in my heart that she would want me beside her when she died. Mm -hmm. And like the divine timing of that, mm -hmm. right? because I do believe that like that she controlled that, you know, yeah. like, right. So she controlled that, but like, she didn't in her conscious mind, she didn't know that I was in Israel and she didn't know that I was back. And yet with the divine timing, you know, it was like, it just was so beautiful that I was here at that time. And I try to take away from that. I try to remember from that, that it's always divine timing. Yes. We don't always, always know, right? That was the message with my mom is like, hey, you know, writing it out in lights, divine timing, divine timing, divine timing. Remember, it's always divine timing, even if you don't get the memo. So it's like everything is divine timing, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a beautiful gift that I got, you know, from her when she died is that that message of divine timing is always divine timing. That's good. What well, you answered a question that I was going to um, ask you about. What did you learn from mm -hmm. it and the divine timing? Because for mm -hmm. me, I learned from um, when I look back on that, I learned about forgiveness and how powerful forgiveness is. Mm -hmm. So I really learned, you know, you know, you just have to let it go my mom is who she is, who she was. You can't change it. She's who she is. So forgive and move on. My dad, the same way, forgive and move on. Now for me, when, you know, when I'm going through a whole lot of things, I'm a journal. I will journal. I will write and put things and down my emotions so I can go back and I can look and see where, what are some, what is something you do? I know that you're an author and I know, cause like me, I'm an author as well. Mm -hmm. um, I write things down. I tell stories. So did anything birth out of that or did anything birth, you know, from your experiences with your parents? Because some things birth from That's my right. mom being ill because I had time. I started to write again mm -hmm. um, in my spare time to just take my mind off of everything. I focused on that. So did something birth out of, you know, your experience? Well, I had a similar experience about like focusing on something else, right? Because you can't make the hard things go away, but you can add to your life some good mm -hmm. things, right? And and in my life, in some of those really struggling moments, I didn't have some good things going on. It was just the struggle. And one night I was up in the middle of the night and I was reading on my phone because I thought, well, reading, that's going to help me go right back to sleep. On my phone, that tiny little screen, that's going to help me go right back to sleep. <laughs> oh, I can't sleep. Let me just get something to sleep here. So I was reading this book called This Messy Magnificent Life. 
the reason I was reading that book is because my life was very messy and I wanted to believe it was magnificent. <laughs> so <laughs> I can recommend the book. It's a good book. But when I got to this one part, the author, Janine Roth, she said that she had something like 600 million, that there's something like 600 million breaths in a lifetime. Don't quote me on that number, okay? Um, but she wrote something like that, like there's 600 million breaths in a lifetime. And that really got me thinking. And then what happened after that was actually not thinking. It was just like kind of this download, like this gift mm -hmm. from of a story. And I started writing, I could not write fast enough. I could not write. It was like coming through me. It was like just, yes, that happened to me. Faster typist. And then if I would get to like a little bit of a stuck spot, I would just keep typing and I go, oh, that happens. I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so that, so this tough part birthed from me a trilogy of biblical fiction novels. And it gave me the opportunity to live in a different place in my head and my heart, even at the same time where I was living with the struggle. And, you know, like you're probably familiar with the story of Joseph and his brothers throw him into a pit and it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, doesn't get worse from here. Guess what does get worse? Because then he gets sold in the yep, slavery. Sold in oh, the man, yep. doesn't get worse from here. Oh, guess what? It does get worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then it gets better and better and better. You know, and it's like, there's this old story. It's, it's not from the Bible, but it's something like this. There's a there's a man and there's a war and he gets a horse and somebody's like, oh, you got a horse. That's good news. He's like, good news, bad news. Oh no. And then his horse gets shot or something. And so then the horse is dead. And he's like, your horse is dead. Oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, good news, bad news. I don't know. But then his son can't go into the army because he doesn't have a horse. And they're like, oh, you son, your son can't go into the army. That's good news. He's like, good news, bad news. I don't know. Listen, I didn't write this story, so I'm totally butchering it right now. But the point of my story is that it's like, we don't know in that moment what's going to come next, right? We don't know what's going to come next. And that doesn't mean that in those hard times, it's not hard. Because in those hard times, it's hard. It is. <laughs> but, you know, I like to believe in the happily ever after. And so I like to believe if it's not happy yet, it's not over yet. So there's more coming, you know, and it's like, it is hard to get through those hard times. And for me, storytelling really helps actually, because it gives me a good thing to focus on. And it gives me something that I can control, frankly, like I can control how the story goes. I can write a happier story than the one that I'm in. And it helps me really write a happy story for myself too. Well, listen, we want to support you. So tell us the name of the book, where we can get it from. And just a little snippet um, of how, you know, what the story is about. Just a little cool. snippet. Yeah. Well, the book is called The Scrolls of Deborah. And like I said, it's biblical fiction. So it's based on one line in the Bible about Deborah, not the judge, different Deborah, who was the nursemaid of Rebecca. And she's got one line in the Bible. She died and she was buried. But now she has 100,000 words. <laughs> and The Scrolls of Deborah is like, What's so important about her that she got mentioned in a line? Yeah. It's like, but she didn't get any other lines, right? So it's like through this book, I get to explore some kind of these questions. It's, I answer it with my own imagination. Right. right. But it's like it 
It's um, it's a book that people have said really helped them imagine the the people in the Bible and what life was like back then and really like connect with them and connect with God because there's a lot in here about connecting with God through the breath. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in Hebrew, the four letter word for God, it's like basically Y-H-W-H. And so if you try to pronounce that, it's, it goes like this. Like a breath. Breath. So there's like a lot a in the book about connecting with God. You could even hear the difference in my the sound of my voice before the breath and after the breath, right? And when we take God in us like that and we give ourselves back to God like that, it can change us and it can change our lives. And there's a lot in here about how people connected with each other through that and people connected with God and the kind of life. And was it perfect? Nope. Still hard things. Yeah. Hard things because that's what life is. So but, where can they get the book? So you could go to my website, EstherGoldenberg.com. Um, or Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop, your local bookstore, you know, wherever you like to get books, then you can get the Scrolls of Deborah there. Oh, perfect. So I'll make sure that information is in the um, the show notes. And I like it because it seems like you gave Deborah her story, although she only had one line, you gave her a story. Yes, it's fictional, but it could be... You never know. God may have given you her actual story and you, we just don't know because we weren't back in those days. But please go out and support her and buy the book if you're a biblical scholar or if you just like good stories, go out and buy her book. So Esther, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. I mean, you have been just such a light today. So thank you so much. Thank you too. I enjoyed this conversation so much. Good. I am so excited that you took the time to listen. I pray that these stories or something we have said will make you think about your story and how it has impacted your life. If you like what you hear, please share. Don't keep a good thing to yourself. Subscribe and support. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Miss V the Storyteller. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. Bye.